This podcast is brought to you by Novo Nordisk. Although the adoption of healthy lifestyle habits is the foundation to managing obesity, adjunct therapies such as pharmacotherapy and bariatric surgery will be required for many patients. Tonight, I had the privilege of facilitating the third in a series of four Rethink Obesity Forums designed to educate and empower all healthcare professionals, and in particular GPs, to deliver effective evidence-based management to patients with obesity and provide advice to those at risk of developing it. I'm health journalist Casey Barros, and I'm joined by Sydney-based GP and advocate for people living with obesity, Georgia Rigas, and Samantha Hocking, an endocrinologist at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, a clinical academic at the University of Sydney, and also the current president of the National Association of Clinical Obesity Services in Australia. Welcome, ladies. Sam, tonight's discussion revolved around recommendations for anti-obesity medications and bariatric metabolic surgery. Can you explain why obesity management requires these therapies in many instances? Sure, Casey. Well, I think many of um, us as doctors have recognised that patients can successfully lose weight, but keeping weight off in the long term is actually the main challenge. And there's a physiological reason for this. Our bodies are very permissive when it comes to gaining weight because this offers us a survival advantage. It makes sense that when there's food around that we can gain weight, store fat, have reserves when there's times of famine. Equally, when we're in a situation of starvation, our bodies fight weight loss. And this happens when we voluntarily try to lose weight as well. Mm, So the body's working against us. The body is indeed working against us. So in response to seeing that weight fall, what the body starts to do is increase hormones from the gut that actually drive appetite and drive hunger and lower the levels of hormones from the gut that actually suppress appetite or um, make us feel full. So as a result, the balance tips and we have this drive to eat. Mm. On top of that, there's other reasons why we eat. There's also uh, feelings of pleasure. We, we like eating certain foods. It's very nice for us to eat those foods. So that centre is still there firing away at us, reminding us of all the yummy things we like to eat that we may have given up on our weight loss journey. And then we've got to make this decision to stick to our diet, to keep our plans. And it's really, really hard when all of our body is fighting that. On top of this also, to make it even worse, our resting metabolic rate drops. So we're more efficient at using this lower amount of energy we're feeding ourselves And the natural response to this, unfortunately, is weight regain. And this is why it's really important for maintaining weight loss that we have therapies like obesity pharmacotherapies and bariatric surgeries that can help our patients combat this physiological adaptation to weight loss. That said, a lot of people's go-to, whether it's that you're trying to lose a couple of kilos after you've indulged a bit too much or whether it's for obesity, is to go to lifestyle interventions. Is that enough? So for some people, yes, they will be successful at losing weight with lifestyle. For some people, it's just not enough. It's not very many people who can adopt lifestyle change and lose weight and keep it off in the long term. Studies would suggest that this may be as few as like one in 20 people, maybe as many as one in five. I'd say in my clinical practice, it's more like the one in 20. Lifestyle modification on its own is a real struggle in terms of keeping weight off in the long term, and many patients need the assistance of weight loss medications or surgery to help them keep that weight off. So when it comes to medications, how do you discuss those with your patients and how do you choose between the different medications that are available? How do you know what's going to be right for a certain patient? 
Yeah, and I think, Casey, you don't actually know what's right. I mean, we're not at that stage yet where we have that precision medicine approach where we can do a blood test or take a measurement and know which anti-obesity medication is the right medication for that person. So what, what I tend to do is discuss the range of options that are available, the different classes of agents that are available, where they might be helpful for some of the characteristics of that person that I've learned from discussing um, with them about their current eating habits, exercise habits, what their challenges are, and then suggesting, well, these medications have these effects that I think might be helpful. These have other effects, which may be not so useful in your particular scenario. And then we make that choice about which pharmacotherapy is best for them together. Georgia, what prompts you to start a conversation with a patient about medication? When do you know that it's the right time for them to, to start a medication? It varies on a case-by-case basis. So if someone has tried lifestyle therapies alone and not lost sufficient weight to see an improvement in their health or their well-being, that might be one of them. Um, and similarly, if they've actually lost weight through a particular diet and lifestyle intervention or a very low energy diet and are struggling to maintain the weight, then that might be another option. However, in general, the indications for anti-obesity medications are if a person has a BMI of 30 and above or if they have a BMI of 27 and at least one other health condition which would improve their loss weight. And this could be um, infertility because of polycystic ovarian syndrome, type 2 diabetes, blood pressure. The list is endless. Mm. And once they've lost the weight, do they stop the medication? Can they stop the medication? Well, a patient can always stop any medication, whether it's for obesity, blood pressure, diabetes. But the question is, should they? Um, And I'm going to answer it in two ways. There is what's called the responder rule. So the TGA has given both doctors and patients some guidance. And the guidance is once a person has been on their full therapeutic dose of an anti-obesity medication for at least 12 consecutive weeks, if they've lost at least 5% of their starting weight or more, then they are deemed a responder and they can continue on that therapy. However, if they've lost less than that, then we should be talking about maybe considering discontinuing it and trying something different with a different mechanism of action. One of the things that we talked about tonight that I loved is that it feels like there's a real shift in both patients and clinicians in our understanding of this not necessarily being a lifestyle condition but rather a chronic long-term disease. So, Georgia, there are a couple of things that you, you can leverage care plans. There are additional things that you can do to be able to support patients better and really approach this as a long-term chronic illness. Totally. As GPs, we're champions at chronic disease management. We've been doing it for years. We do it really well. And as you correctly said, we can use chronic disease management plans to enlist the support and the expertise of other allied health members, whether it be a dietitian, psychologist, exercise physiologist, the list goes on. But the key is to keep the patient engaged with regular follow-up and with ongoing education because our end game goal is to empower the patient so they can develop self-efficacy because that's been shown to be associated with better health outcomes for the patients in the long run. So then, Georgia, if a patient is receiving an anti-obesity medication, what needs to be monitored? Uh, There's a couple of things. We we want to make sure that uh, we monitor their blood pressure and their wellness factors but some medications are particularly sensitive to weight changes. Uh, these include insulin, sulfonylureas and other anti-diabetes medications, diuretics and other blood pressure lowering medication, 
thyroxine and other medications that act on the thyroid gland, but also some uh, medications such as lithium digoxin, ones where they have a narrow therapeutic uh, range and therefore changes in weight may affect the, the dosage administration. Uh, but every every person's different, so we've got to look at the person in front of us and tailor the advice accordingly. Sam, as an endocrinologist, what about from your perspective? Is there anything else that GPs should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, Casey, I think one of the things I would like to mention is that no anti-obesity medications are able to be used in pregnancy. And I think that's a really important point because a lot of women might present to their GP thinking about a pregnancy in the future, wanting to optimise their health for pregnancy. We know that lowering body weight before pregnancy is really beneficial in terms of reducing rates of pregnancy associated high blood pressure, gestational diabetes. It's also a very uh, motivating time for women to get their health optimised, but you can't fall pregnant on an anti-obesity medication. There's nothing wrong with using it to help a woman lose weight in preparation for pregnancy, but they've got to be using a highly effective form of contraception while they're on the medication, and you've got to make it really, really clear that they can't fall pregnant while they're taking the medication. Mm. Georgia, surgery can form part of the management approach for some patients with obesity. At what point do you consider bariatric surgery? So the guidelines are quite clear. If a person has a BMI of 40 and above or a BMI of 35 and at least one weight-related complication or if they have type 2 diabetes, which is poorly controlled despite best medical therapy and a BMI of 30 and above. So in these patients, we should consider bariatric surgery. We have a duty of care as a clinician to talk about all the evidence-based effective therapies, the pros and cons of each, and um, help the patient come to an informed decision. We do hope that such patients have at least tried lifestyle interventions plus or minus anti-obesity medication to get an idea of how they've responded or not. Uh, and also um, we want to make sure that we can give them a holistic view on things. It's not just about the kilos on the scale. We want to look at other goals uh, that are non-weight-related, health improvement goals, functional and wellness I mean, as, as well. As GPs, you really play a fundamental lifelong role in supporting them post-surgery. Sam, are there specific red flags that GPs should be aware of following bariatric surgery in their patients? What do they need to keep an eye out for? Sure. So one of the one of the red flags really would be lots of vomiting in the immediate post-operative period, really at any point in time after bariatric surgery. Certainly after bariatric surgery, there is a time when patients need to learn how to eat in terms of speed of eating and portion size. And that can result in them regurgitating food. But if there's really a lot of vomiting, that is a red flag because there could be a structural problem depending on the type of surgery that they've had. So that would be uh, a time to get in contact with the bariatric surgery team. It's also very important in the setting of lots of vomiting to think about um, replacing thiamine because thiamine deficiency can uh, lead to, some, unfortunately, irreversible neurological damage if it's not replaced. So that's a massive red flag. Um, having difficulties um, swallowing or really severe gastroesophageal reflux disease is another red flag. We know that um, certain bariatric surgical procedures can worsen reflux, and there was a little bit of concern that maybe it could worsen uh, the incidence of Bar Barrett's esophagus, which is a premalignant condition that can happen in the esophagus. So really bad reflux might be another, um, another red flag. Another red flag is pregnancy early after bariatric surgery. 
Uh, we definitely recommend that women delay bariatric sorry delay pregnancy after bariatric surgery for about 12 months. Mm -hmm. So if a woman falls pregnant in that rapid weight loss phase after bariatric surgery, then certainly that would be a time to refer on for additional help and support for that woman to make sure she's not nutritionally compromised at the very important early stages of pregnancy. Mm, some vital learnings there as there were tonight. Thank you both so much, ladies, and thank you for joining us. That's it for this recap. We have many more learnings to come in this series, so please take the time to listen to our other episodes on starting a conversation about obesity, dietary and lifestyle advice, as well as how to maintain weight loss over time. Until next time. Please note the views expressed in this episode are the doctor's own and the information here is not to be taken as personal medical advice. Both doctors received an honorarium for their participation in the forum.